Good evening. Tonight's message is called In God and Christ. Tonight we'll start a new series in 2 Thessalonians. Now, last year we finished our study in 1 Thessalonians, and it was a great joy to go through that book. And I hope it'll be a joy to go through this second book that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians as well. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we'll read the first 10 verses, which includes the greeting of Paul to the saints at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul and Sabanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now this second letter to the churches in Thessalonica was penned about six months after the first. And the first was designed to comfort the brethren in their tribulations and persecutions and to fix their mind upon Christ in his glorious return. We saw that in chapter 4 and 5 of the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. And Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, and Timothy and Silvanus were, were with him. John Gale brings this forth from his commentary. The second epistle was written not from Athens, as the superscription testifies, nor from Rome, but from Corinth, from whence was sent the former letter, and where the apostle and Timothy and Silas met, which was sent about a year after the other. And some commentators believe that this second letter is a response to that letter, if that was so. And that would make sense being at about a six-month time in between. And they didn't have the mail service like we have nowadays. It took months for a letter to go from one place to another. So just keep that in mind as well. And beloved of God, the design of this letter is to comfort and support the Thessalonians under the afflictions and persecutions that they endured for the sake of the gospel. And to address a mistake that they had gone into, which had been addressed in Paul's first letter to them concerning the second coming of Christ. So it's just some more clarification for them on the second coming of Christ in this letter as well. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine the excitement that must have stirred the hearts of these Thessalonian saints when news had been received that there was a letter from Paul the Apostle which would be read in their next worship service? Could you imagine the excitement that they would have? And I believe all of us are guilty of taking for granted today's modern technology that enables us to communicate with one another, even if it were thousands of miles away. I study with three other brethren in three different states each once a week. And the technology that we have to be able to do that is absolutely wonderful. 
absolutely wonderful. And I was thinking about that last night after we had finished our study, that the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Peter, what would they have thought if they had this kind of technology that we had? Well, they'd be glorifying God and excitingly talking to one another about the gospel, just as we do when we meet together through the technology that the Lord has provided for us for this day. And not only are we privileged to hear one another's voice over the phone, and but we can sit on the computer or on a tablet and see one another's face as we enjoy conversation, even if our loved ones are on the other side of the world. And, and this is truly amazing. I've often talked to Jean-Claude. He's a missionary to Africa who lives in France. And we get to talk face-to-face through the modern technology. And it's just, just amazing. Now, that technology didn't exist until recently. When you consider the ages that have passed where there was not this kind of technology. And during the apostolic age, they didn't have the Pony Express to speed up the mail service. A letter was hand-delivered by those who walked to the destinations that they were heading to. Or they hired someone to take a letter to someone in another city. And there's no telling how long it took for this epistle to get to Thessalonica. But we trust that God inspired Paul to write these words to the Thessalonians. And that they are for our learning today, just as we're learning in our study in the book of James. These words are relevant for us today. They transcend time and they transcend culture. And it's absolutely incredible. And this letter is timeless for God's people, for his elect. And God also not only ordained that it would be read to his chosen blood-bought people at Thessalonica the first time it was read, but by his sovereign will and by his sovereign power, it was included in the canon of holy scriptures and here we are the born again blood washed people of god today in 2021 and we're studying that same book that same letter that was sent by paul to the thessalonians it's truly amazing and some people say well how can you know it was paul's because god's preserved his word because it's the letter that paul wrote to the thessalonians being preserved by god god who holds all the universe together can he not preserve a letter yes he can by his almighty power. So let's go back to the Thessalonians. Think of the anticipation that these saints would have when they heard that there was a letter written to them from the Apostle Paul and that they were going to read it at the next worship service. Oh, I believe that these saints at Thessalonica, they anticipated rich blessings from the Lord Jesus Christ through the reading of the letter of Paul, believing that they would be instructed by God himself as they gathered together to hear this epistle read. Because we know that God speaks to us through his word. And is this not true today? Just as it was back when the born-again, blood-washed saints of God at Thessalonica gathered together to hear this letter read? Is it not the same for we who are the born-again, blood-washed people of God? We have the same Holy Spirit and we assemble together. And we desire to hear the Holy Scriptures preached and proclaimed, don't we? We desire to hear God's Word. We desire to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, who purchased our precious souls with His precious blood at Calvary's cross. And we desire the Holy Spirit of God to teach us the things of Christ. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. We want to be instructed by God. So let us come before the scriptures with a humble spirit. Let us come before the scriptures with a teachable spirit, seeking to be instructed, seeking to be taught by our great and glorious God. And our prayer is, Lord, please give us teachable spirits as we look at your word. Listen to the first two verses in this chapter again. 
Paul and Savannah and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in these words Paul's greeting to the saints, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones in Thessalonica. It says unto the church of the Thessalonians in verse 1. And notice he doesn't declare his apostleship because there's no opposition to that fact with the church at Thessalonica. Now, when he had to declare that, there was usually opposition within the church to his apostleship, but not so with the church at Thessalonica. It had been established by the grace of God, by Paul and Savanus and Timothy, through the preaching of the word. And so there's no opposition to the fact that Paul is an apostle. And take note in this greeting that Paul again, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, uses certain prepositions in this greeting. In verse 1, as Paul speaks of the church, he declares that they are in God the Father and in Christ. Oh, what assurance can be found here for the born-again, blood-washed saint of God. What assurance on many levels, not the least of which is the assurance of eternal life in the eternal love of God in his purpose in his grace towards his people in Christ. Listen to these words in John 17, verses 21 to 24. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them. And they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now, in verse 1, we see that Paul writes unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, listen to this verse in these two verses in John chapter 17, verse 21 and 22, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. In the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So what assurance of salvation can be found in this verse of God's people to see the fact that all that is involved in the salvation of the soul is secured in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit of God, which is clearly brought forth in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, if you read that. Because we're chosen by the Father in Christ. We're redeemed and accepted and adopted in the Son. And then we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, beloved. Praise be to God. Salvations of the Lord. And we see that here in the text. It says Paul and Savanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. We see that Savanus and Timothy are also brought forth as the companions of Paul. Just as in the first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And Paul traveled with these men and they ministered with Paul and they preached the gospel. Both Silvanus and Timothy were trusted companions of Paul. Now, Silvanus, also known as Silas, was a long and experienced companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey and was imprisoned and set free with Paul in the Philippian jail. You'll find that in Acts chapter 16, verses 19 to 24. When Paul first came to Thessalonica, Silas came with him. You'll find that in 
Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. So the Thessalonians knew Silas well. He's also mentioned in the first letter to the Thessalonians in verse 1. And Timothy was a resident of Lystra, a city in the province of Galatia. You find that in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. He was the son of a Greek father, found in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, and a Jewish mother named Eunice, which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And from his youth, Timothy had been taught in the scriptures by his mother and grandmother. That's in 2 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 3.15. So Timothy was a trusted companion of Paul, and he accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonians on a previous occasion, and he was also mentioned in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read our text again. Let's read verse 1 again in Second Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Paul is the inspired writer of this epistle. And again, he brings forth that his fellow faithful ministers, his brothers and companions, Silas and Timothy, are with him, letting the Thessalonians know also that they are safe with him and that all was well with them as they had with Paul ministered to the spiritual needs of the church at Thessalonica. They had preached the gospel of the complete finished sin atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, that by his precious, precious blood, we are redeemed, purchased, that all our sins are forgiven. And by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, they were quickened or regenerated, born again, and granted faith to believe the words that Paul and Timothy and Silas preached and proclaimed. And by the power of God, they were turned from serving dead idols to serve the living and true God. They were brought out from darkness into light, and they were being persecuted because of it. And we see that they're still being persecuted. We're going to see that clearly. We saw it in our reading when we read the first 10 verses, that they're still going through persecution. And Paul writes them to comfort them during this persecution. Look at who the letter is addressed to. Again, beloved of God, it's addressed unto the church of the Thessalonians. Now, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means a calling out. So these are the called out ones. And never forget that every enlightened, born-again, blood-washed saint of God in the church of the Thessalonians had been called with a holy calling from God himself under the preaching of his gospel. They had been called out of darkness. They'd been called out of the prison house of unbelief. They'd been called out of false religions. They'd been called out of a lifestyle of sinful pleasure. And this, beloved, this applies to all of God's born-again, blood-washed saints. We are a called-out assembly. We're called out of this world. Think of this, that the time they met together and every time we meet together for public worship, it's a calling out. It's a calling out from our busy lives in this world. It's a time when we set aside our worldly concerns to assemble together to worship and praise the one true living God. And what an honor that God has bestowed upon his people to allow us to meet together to worship him in spirit and truth. And as I mentioned earlier in the study, we see in verse 1 that Paul tells the church of the Thessalonians, and never forget that this applies to all of God's called out saints, that we're in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Paul and Savanus and 
Demetheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, listen to these words. This, I hope this blesses your souls, beloved of God. Oh, in the Father's eternal purpose, in the salvation of his elect. In the Father's promise of a particular people to Jesus Christ, his dear Son. We were included in the Father's eternal love when he penned our names in the Lamb's book of life. In the Father's covenant plan when he predestinated us into the adoption of sons. In the Father's perfect satisfaction in which Jesus Christ accomplished for his elect when he met all the conditions of the eternal covenant of grace when he died on Calvary's cross. In the Father's full pardon of sin granted to all those who were redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of the everlasting covenant. In the Father's will when he by his sovereign will and power begot us by the word of truth. In the Father's comforting concern for his enlightened saints, when he shows unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, when he gives us this understanding that he cannot lie and that he cannot break his promise to his Son, and his promises to give us strong consolation, a strong hope, who have fled to Christ, who is our refuge and our only hope, and who has entered right now into heaven. He is seated right now the right hand of the Father, and intercedes for us, beloved, to appear in the presence of God for us. Hallelujah to his mighty name. And note that our text also says that the church of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 1 again. Paul and Savannah and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, in Christ when he was formed in the virgin's womb, in him when he came forth from the virgin's womb, in Christ when he perfectly obeyed his Father's will, establishing a perfect righteousness for all those he represented, in Christ when he shed his precious, precious blood for us at Calvary's cross, when he died enduring the wrath of God for his promised children, satisfying the holy justice of God for them. In Christ our Lord, when he fully accomplished the salvation of his people as their great substitute dying on the cross to save them. Listen to these words of Paul in the book of Galatians. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, in Christ when he was buried, in Christ when he arose from the grave without sin, leaving all our sins in the sea of God's forgetfulness, in Christ when he ascended into heaven, in Jesus Christ when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, in Christ where he will allow absolutely nothing to separate us from his love. Now let us read the second verse and take note of the use of the preposition from, as this word addresses the source of our grace and peace. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, Grace unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our grace and our peace find their source in God the Father and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have these things, they are from God. If we have grace and we have peace, they're from God and from the Father. They're from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget that everything we have is a gift from God. And this truth gives power and weight to what Paul is proclaiming in this letter to the Thessalonians. And note the order that is brought forth. First grace, then peace. 
Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the biblical order. Grace always precedes peace. Beloved of God, if God does not bestow his sovereign grace upon us, hell-deserving sinners, there will not be, nay, there cannot be any peace from God in our souls or in our innermost being. God's grace is sovereign grace. If it's not sovereign grace, it's not God's grace. God will not allow one little stitch of man's doing to be sewn into the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness. Not one stitch of man's works. Those who teach that getting baptized is what saves you, they're trying to sew a stitch of their own doings into the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness. Therefore, they have no peace with God. You add anything. You or I add anything to the finished work of Christ and there is no grace and there is no peace. And that is what those false teachers out there say when they say such things as you must meet on a Saturday to be saved. Again, they're trying to sew a stitch of their own doings into the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness. Therefore, they have no peace with God. And those who teach that their own free will, their decision for Christ has saved them, they are too trying to sew a stitch of their own doings into the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness. Therefore, they have no peace with God. They say, peace, peace, but they have no peace. They have a refuge of lies, beloved, because God's, God's saving faith is given to us, beloved. We're made willing in the day of God's power to flee to Christ. He's not waiting for us. He don't wait on no one. He's God. He's God, the all-powerful, almighty God, and he don't wait on no one. He bestows his grace and his mercy on whom he pleases. And we who are the receivers of that grace, we cry out, Oh, Lord, thank you for having mercy upon me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We're but mercy beggars. And even after we're saved, we're still mercy beggars. Sinners saved by the grace of God in Christ. And the list of man's works and salvation that comes from the lying lips of false preachers, it profits them absolutely nothing. And it profits their hearers nothing. As all they're doing is trying to cover their nakedness with foolish, sinful fig leaves of their own works. And they have no peace with God. Brethren, Jesus Christ is every believer's peace, period. He is our only peace with God. I'll tell you this, no Christ, no Christ equals no peace with God. And this is not up for debate. Take note of how salvation in Christ alone is brought forth in the book of Romans in chapter 5. Listen to this, Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No peace with God except through Christ. In Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God commandeth his love toward us. Look at that. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his, that's Christ's blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Because that wrath that was due us fell upon Christ. And that's Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. And then Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as by the offense of one Adam, so when Adam fell, we all fell with him because we were in him. 
we were in his loins. Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. We're born into this world under condemnation in our natural state. Even so, by the righteousness of one, this is Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. All who believe, all who are granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift. It's a free gift. And all who believe are justified unto life. And then it says, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. God's people are made righteous in Christ, in Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone, without a stitch of our works. I'm telling you, if you're counting on anything you did, anything, making a decision, praying a prayer, anything, your baptism, something you do to merit favor with God, and even though you think you have peace with God, you have no peace with God. Because peace with God only comes through the finished, complete, sin-atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ in him alone. And it's all his work in his work alone. We are justified by faith, and that's God-given faith, remember. We don't seek it. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. It's given to us by God the Father. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. In no way. Not of yourselves in any way. Nothing you do. Nothing you speak. Nothing you think. For by grace you say through faith, and that not of yourselves. Let that sink in. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. You have compassion on whom here have compassion, and here have mercy on whom here have mercy. And when God the Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in him crucified, we cease from our labors. We cease from any way of trying to justify ourselves before God. We cease from any kind of way of trying to gain merit and favor with God by anything we say, do, or think. And we rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember what he cried. He cried, it is finished. That means there's nothing for you and nothing for me to add to that finished work. It's finished. He did it all. The believer simply looks to Christ and him alone. And that's when the wonderful peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ floods into our souls. And it generates true, genuine praise to our great God, to the God of all grace. And note in our text, this all comes from God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ in him alone. Look at verse 2 again. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God's the source and Christ is the conduit. And when the gift of faith is given to us under the preaching of the true gospel, we see the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who obtained eternal redemption for us, is the one who by himself purged our sins, is the one by himself who reconciled us to God by his death. And that's when the wonderful peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ floods our souls and generates true, genuine praise to our great God and Savior. When we see ourselves without any righteousness of our own in our natural state, and then we see ourselves born again, blood washed, and dressed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ after he saves us. And that's what makes us acceptable to God is the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that makes us acceptable in God's sight is the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ. That's when the wonderful peace from God our Father comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. It floods our souls. And again, it generates true, genuine praise to our great God and Savior. Beloved of God, our great God has forgiven us for Christ's sake, for his glory, and for the glory of his grace. 
Of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, and according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. Is it any wonder, then, that the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write these words that apply to all of us? Unto the church which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This just makes us cry out with Jonah, salvations of the Lord. And we delight in giving all the glory and all the honor and all the praise to our great God and to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is by the sovereign grace of God through the perfect redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And any effort on man's part to try and gain favor with God by any works absolutely destroys the meaning of of the word grace. Truly God's people have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Praise his mighty name. Amen and amen.